Hello everybody and welcome to another E5 podcast. My name is Paul Meenan and I am joined today by my good pal, Richard Emery. Richard, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Um, you're out and about on uh, duties around the country, but you've uh, dialed in tonight. Um, what are we going to, uh, what are we talking about? What's the subject of today? Well, I think tonight we should have a chat about the importance of working safely in confined spaces paul oh blimey confined spaces um there's a lot of people who are probably going to listen to this and go that's probably a little bit specialists um but i think this will be a specialist one uh, i'm sure the likes of neil bridgman will probably be um salivating while he's driving listening to this hello neil please don't crash and blame me um yeah no okay so let, let's start talking about it. so we all have a view on what is a confined space Richard, tell us what what a confined space is. Um, a confined space is any uh, chamber or area which may or may not be fully enclosed. It may or may not be uh, easy to get in and out of. But on top of the uh, access and egress and the physical design of the place there will be an additional hazard that will be at risk to the people or persons going in there. Um, so I've had loads of arguments over confined spaces loads now a lot of people probably this might be a first introduction to it so there is as per always there is a piece of legislation like electricity at work regulations uh, called the confined spaces regulations of 1997 probably do an update and um, it, it covers the usual stuff what you need to do duties um, arrangements because i think the fundamental thing about confined spaces is how do you get people out that's kind of one of the primary drivers. If you go into a restricted or confined space and something goes wrong, whether that individual has a heart attack, receives a shock, is overcome by gases, what do you do as an employer or as a colleague to ensure that their safety is maintained while they're doing the hazardous work? And is it fair to say, Richard, that we're not very good doing that? Um, it's misunderstood. Uh, if you consider that um, we potentially lose seven people a year through electrocution. Yeah, that's just the declared ones. That's just the declared ones. Well, the, the ones for confined space are declared because they tend to be death and they tend to be multiple. We lose, on average, 15 people a year from death in confined space. And unfortunately, these are rarely an individual because some poor sod goes in, tries to uh, try and rescue his mate, and he succumbs. There was uh, a recent, um, not recent, last year, I think, or the year before, there was an inc incident where Alec was working in a tank with some solvents, and he succumbed to the effects of the solvents. His mate went in to try and get him out, and he died. And a third person tried to effect a rescue, and luckily enough, he was pulled out by somebody else before he died. It's one of those things where your mate's in there and it sucks you in. Yeah, it's um, for those listening. To try, um, and, to try and help them. 
Sorry, sorry, Richard. Um, for those listening, it might be worthwhile um, helping people understand a little bit more as to what actually a confined space um, is. And under the uh, law, um, a confined space means any place, including a chamber, tank, vat, silo, pit, trench, pipe, sewer, flue, well, or other similar space in which by virtue of its enclosed nature, there arises a reasonably foreseeable specified risk. In the electrical world, I, I see this as, do you remember restricted conductive locations? Yeah. I, always, I always saw that as confined space, and that, well, that takes you into 25-volt selve and pelve um, stuff. But, but that, is, that is the definition under the regulations, I'm literally reading it verbatim. Um, and a, a, a risk under this regulations, it means serious injury to a person at work from fire exposure, loss of consciousness, um, the loss of consciousness from asphyxiation, drowning. Um, and, and before you do any of any sort of confined space work, it's probably worth knowing you have to have a safe system of work. And Mr. Dempsey has just invaded our podcast. Hello, Mr. Dempsey. Could you switch off your video feed before you crash this podcast? Turn off the video feed. It has been turned off. Thank you. You might want to address your volume a little bit. It's a bit loud. I'll sit back from your mic. Okay. So, Richard, Mr. Dempsey's joined us. Evening, Ryan. Hi, Richard. How are you? I'm doing well. So, Ryan, tonight we're talking about um, confined spaces. Um, I've just gone through the fact that confined spaces anywhere where including a chamber tank, fat, silo, pit, trench, sewer, pipe, flue, well or other space by virtue of its enclosed nature, a reasonably foreseeable risk. So I'm I'm going to start the row straight away, which I know Richard's just smiling when I say that. Years and years ago, Richard, when I was doing confined space work, um, there was quite a loose interpretation of what a confined space was because... Um, if you had, if you went into, and I'll use my experience, a, a platform, let's say a platform at Waterloo Station, and there was a means of exiting said platform other than your entry point, it wasn't deemed a confined space, even though you were literally crawling on your belly for mm. 100 metres through a platform. But because there was another way out, it wasn't a confined space. There was also the wives tale of, well, if there's a fresh air supply, it's not a confined space. I've heard people say it has to be of a certain depth, um, all sorts of rubbish, to be perfectly frank. Um, what's your view on it, um, Richard? And now joined us, Ryan. OK, I've got I've got two ones for you. How many people have worked in loft spaces at home? Uh, me. Would you consider them a confined space? Um, no. Uh, well, some lofts, some lofts, yes. Um, now, oh, actually, now, do it in now do it in summer when it's 50 degrees and there's one loft hatch and you've got to crawl down the length of that loft. Oh, God, yeah, you're right. If you actually look at the ACOP, it does say the loss of consciousness from any person at work arising from gas, fume, vapour, or the lack of oxygen. some I have to say, I have been in loss where I have almost wanted to faint um, because of the temperatures. Um, and the, the, I've, the, big, the big temperature, yeah. 
Well, I, I worked in uh, one church um, when I was an apprentice. Um, we did, we, we, for some weird reason, we won a job where we were doing all pyro in this church. And because I was the apprentice, I got chucked up in the loft for a week. I could barely breathe. Mm. I literally could barely breathe. And I had no PPE whatsoever. There was no way out of it unless a drop of about 30 metres, um, as you can imagine. Uh, you're chucked up there and then the ladder's taken away and you're there all day chucking cables um, through. So yeah, bubble, oh, you're right there. In lofts where you've got to crawl through into a gable end and the, the, the apertures are small. Uh, you can be 10, 15 metres away from the, the trap patch. Your electrician could be uh, on the floor below you. So I've got another scenario for you. You're working in an open room. It's got two points of access. Uh, it's quite a big room and you're smack in the middle of it and there's lots of obstructions in there and it has an FM200 fire drench system in there. Right. And that is, and that, will, if that goes off, yeah, are you'll... you able to make it to the doors before you're asphyxiated? Um, probably not. But I, so, thought, I thought all those gas systems were supposed to have been removed. No, no, they have different, different um, uh, ozone-friendly materials in them now, but they still mm. work in depleting the oxygen. So yeah. those two examples are what we would call a potential confined space. In normal operation, they may, may not be a risk. But if you add that hazard to them, they then become a confined space. Well, okay. Um, so that means then, so on the Dockens Art Railway, every HV transformer room on the DLR has a gaseous suppression system. And you're right, it does deplete oxygen. And yet on the doors of those substations, it doesn't remind anyone that it's a potentially confined space. Is is it, are we over-regulated or, or we just, is it just too much to think of in, in, in applying the letter of the law to every single job? Is this one of those health and safety have gone mad or one measure affects another measure? I mean, for the it's, domestic installer, it's only gone, gone. it's only it's only health and safety gone mad until somebody dies. Very true. In one of the situations you just said. So it's the people who've written the codes of practice or any guidance on it. Fundamentally, they've written that by by putting themselves in that position where what, what if the worst could could happen and. I do think you're right in terms of the, the two examples that Richard's just mentioned there. They, it, when we talk about this podcast, kind of who does it reach? Does it reach the, does it reach those industrial sparks who um, are fully competent on confined spaces or, or commercial sparks? And I've just done it there in, in that one statement by limiting the term confined space to a particular type of spark, when in actual fact, the, the examples that Richard just mentioned before and, and that you've been talking about, Kind of put the realms of confined spaces into your everyday, your everyday spark who can potentially doesn't even know, wouldn't even know that that's a risk. Mm. It worries me ever so slightly because mm. um, I was thinking in the domestic house, but you're right, commercial industrial, there's lots of buildings where they have gas suppression systems. People should be aware that there is potential for that, but. A lot of people listening who do commercial industrial sparking will say, 
well that's what my rams are for my you know my risk assessment my method statements it should flag that i'm going to put my hand in the air and say guarantee you it won't damn will guarantee it won't because if somebody did a proper rams it my doors would have had danger warning label on it potentially confined space in fact thinking back there was an incident a few years back actually where i believe someone from a electrical contractor who shall not be named went in there and accidentally set off the gas system and barely made it out of there um and there was an investigation in that and then they they stopped anybody from going in there unless they were escorted by somebody who was actually familiar and competent because this was someone working on lv systems in the hv room so and they didn't have suitable control measures so there was a bit of a lesson learned from from that perspective um but from a house bashing perspective from a domestic installer i'd always thought under the floorboards you know stick the apprentice under the floorboards crawling around under floorboards that was confined space because if you go under someone's floor and you you know that, that you're you know have heart attack or you get bitten and you have an allergic reaction how the hell do you get someone out then you mm. you're, you're cutting joists you're destroying people's homes it's um what control measures or, or specified risks or systems of work do you have to prevent that that's a good question it really is a good question and i don't think i don't think anybody could answer the question because you you've you've got that many different sparks with different um what's the right word we're looking for the the not desires but the requirements for people and that you go into um, so for instance that spark you're talking about that had that issue and um, perfect example that you probably had a risk assessments or method statements or, or, or documented processes in place but they weren't followed and we reacted when somebody nearly passed away and now it's a little bit more stricter because we once nearly lost somebody um for the the domestic setting you're then asking a spark who's priced a job at a particular value who's then going to start seeing well hang on a minute i've i need a i need a, if if my apprenticeship or one of my team's going to go underneath the floorboards i need to put some safety precautions in place to um for the in case the inevitable happens or the unthinkable happens um that's going to be an extra however many costs will have to be a little bit more cautious we'll not just be we'll not have fun um screwing an apprentice underneath the floorboards that they used to do way back when which i, I do believe they don't do that now but um it's a, it's a good question and and to be honest with you i'm, I'm kind of hoping richard will jump in and, and answer it because uh, <laughs> I, I don't think there's a right answer uh, for, for me, for me, the um, it should be covered off by your, your, your risk assessment. You're quite right. We would normally expect higher risk elements like working at height, uh, confined spaces to carry their own risk assessments. Certainly, when you look at the the bigger safe systems of work like the Scottish Scottish HTMs, uh, the Joint Services Publication three seven five for the MOD. They would they would expect those to have individual risk assessments for the guys working with potential confined spaces. It's a matter of understanding the limitations and what controls you've put in place. And it might be in the loft that you only do an hour and then you come down and get some fresh air. It might be that you hire a fan and you stick it in the in the, the loft hatch. So you've actually got a transfer of air to move it around and try and, and just get some uh, some some control over the temperatures, or you don't do it in the middle of the day. And mm. we've defined that 
from from 12 to 4 were the hot spots and then it would start cooling down but uh, it's it's not it's not an area that's well understood certainly in the domestic environment there's a drive to get stuff done get in get out get it wired and as, as ryan says it's used to be put the apprentice up in the loft stick the apprentice under the floor because they're the smallest people i was that apprentice <laughs> trust so me i went in i went in lofts with asbestos insulation and pigeon thousands of pigeons homing in it and just oh do you know what when i did my first ever asbestos awareness course i literally sat on it with my head in my hands going oh no mm-hmm. literally oh um, no I was that person cutting the white agricultural, as it, crocodilite with a circular saw uh, outside, no ventilation, no dust mask, just hacking it off. And as you say, you just put your head in your hands. Uh, that's it. I'll just, I'll sign out now. Thanks very much. But, um, so, Richard. Yes. Um, I think I think we're going to get lynched if um, by the people listening if we don't actually go back on a few bits that we've said because we've really been controversial. Um, we've basically said that um, going in someone's going in a loft is a confined space. So what I want to do is I want to take uh, I want to take a second to just uh, read out the definition of confined space, but in the guidance note. So under the regulations for confined spaces, um, a confined space as defined must have both defining features okay so this is the this is the killer of well this is the argument this is the one that stops the argument so a confined space it must be a space which is substantially though not always entirely enclosed and one of the more specified risks must be present or reasonably foreseeable interesting so those obviously uh, specified risks um, would then include um, injury to person from fire explosions, so gases, um, the loss of consciousness arising in increasing body temperature, loss of consciousness or asphyxiation um, from gas, fumes, vapours or lack of oxygen, the drowning of any person um, or the asphyxiation of any person from a free-flowing solid or inability uh, to reach a respir- respirable environment due to entrapment. So, it must be a space which is substantially enclosed and there must be a risk that is present or reasonably foreseeable. So if I go underneath a railway platform, I'm going to use a railway platform and the railway platform is block and plank, i.e. I can go underneath the platform surface and I can see the track and the brambles behind me. Whilst it's enclosed, it's not entirely enclosed. And are there any risks that would be present other than normal sharps, rubbish muck would i define that an enclosure uh, a, a confined space i don't think i would and i, I think, think it's go on i think it's the elimination of those however at waterloo i can tell you now in 1999 i was on the, the team that rewired waterloo and we would go to these inverts which were massive you know hundreds of meters long and we would have a gang and a guy would turn up with a tripod and we were like oh what's all this and the tripod was to rescue someone and to go down there, we had to be briefed. Uh, there wasn't a formal training in them days. Um, you'd have this basically this uh, like a harnessy type uh, thing you'd put on. And that was in case you got unconscious, they could basically somebody could go down there, attach you to the winch and winch your body out. So it was fairly evident there was it was a fully enclosed invert. Um, so it was sealed on all sides. So there was a risk of gas. And they also had a gas monitor that was hung 
um, above the tripod to monitor for any emissions coming out. Um, the individuals, the leads, would also carry gas monitors, and that was deemed suitable and sufficient um, confined space uh, control measures, for want of a better word. But whether, whether it was done every single shift, um, probably not. To be honest with you, I remember guys literally going down in the invert and taking all their safety gear off because it just got in the way of installing cable management and doing their job. Um, controls are always uh, flawed by human intervention and um, perversion, really, of them, or lack of understanding. It's one thing I've learned about uh, confined space. What's what's your what's your view, uh, Mr. Dempsey? Um, what would what would you say if I told you? Let's go back to the loft. Loft is a confined space, okay? So, if a domestic loft is is a space which is substantially enclosed, I okay, right? Um, and there are no foreseeable risks other than heat. It's the middle of summer. Um, you would probably argue it's confined space, but what if Richard, you can jump in as well. What if it's a ventilated soffit, some new build, and all the all the soffits are ventilated to cool the roof? Would you say it's confined space then? I would say it would go much the same as you would do gas monitoring in the uh, tank, sump, or pit. That if you did temperature monitoring in the loft, and that temperature was higher than body temperature, then that would still consist of that would still be a potential confined space. And that is one of the risks that they list in their um, the the uh, the guidance note, the INDG uh, two five three, um, being being a, uh, a a hot condition likely to lead to a dangerous increase in body temperature. What do you think, Dempsey? So, Lofts, because I'm I'm loving this. This is an interesting <laughs> debate because I'm going to disagree with Richard um, slightly. I think. If you're going into a loft and it's ventilated soffits um, and you're only going there to pull one cable in and it's the middle of summer um, and you're only going to be in there for five minutes, I would see it as a low risk. Still a potential, but a low risk safe enough to undertake the task. Um, having my, my And the reason I say that is my old, I've got experience in this. In my old house uh, I used to live in in Harlow. Um, we had a, a loft that was hotter than hell itself. You just couldn't go up there because it just trapped all the heat in the house and the roof had started to warp. Um, we did some home improvements. Part of that was um, installation of new gutters, downpipes and ventilated soffits. The difference in temperature it made was mind blowing. Uh, and I also noted that the, the warping of my roof ceased because there was a dedicated air exchange front to back. Um, and that's why I wouldn't, if I looked at it as a confined space, I would say I don't think there is any risk of gases or overheating, um, given the size of it and the the length of time I'm in there. However, if I was in there all day rewiring uh, lights and it was the middle of August, then yes, potentially. Um, in duration. Yes, it's duration, isn't it? It's... What's your thoughts? So let me throw a little bit of a spanner in here. Um, just, I'll try and keep it on track with with confined spaces, but I will I will refer. I, I just want to give an example of why the industry itself is is quite frustrating at sometimes because 
when I worked as an electrician, I, I gradually moved up as, as some electricians do into a, a senior position in a contractor to then a client. And when you become a client manager, oh, kind of spidey sense to, can you hear me? Are you still there? Yeah, we lost yeah. you there for a second. Yeah, okay. Carry on, mate. I am still here. Um, so when you when you go from being an electrician and you step into a a more of a client role, you you generate a kind of a spidey sense, and that spidey sense uh, always tells you to take a couple of steps further back than everybody else. Um, and let me explain what I mean by that. So we're currently talking about um, confined spaces in loft uh, in terms of heat and ventilation and so on. But my question is, the Health and Safety at Work Act puts responsibility on um, the individuals, which we're talking about here. Um, what about your safety? What have you done in an assessment from yourself? Um, you're about to go into a loft space. What have you done individually to protect yourself against this? However, when we talk about domestic properties, there's 25 million of those in the country. Four million of them are private rented, four million of them are social housing, and the rest are privately owned so whatsoever. So when you become um, into social housing, for instance, which is where my, where my background is, you're then having to send individuals to work potentially in lofts, and you're creating SOR values. And I would go as far to say that I've never seen an SOR where there is work required in a loft where it has clearly stated or put a a, a tag on that job to say please bear in mind that this is this is a, a potential confined spaces so i'm kind of putting a bit of a spin on um, whose responsibility is it to to determine it's always the individual's responsibility but how far do you go to then apply the responsibility to somebody else who owns that property, even if you're just working in somebody else's house, uh, a homeowner's house, are they accountable in any way? Sorry, Ryan, what's an SOR? Schedule of rate. It is. We've lost him again. A customer relations management system. Okay, well, we lost you, you for the last 10 seconds there. You went completely quiet, but nice. I'm sure nobody will notice because they've probably switched off because they've realised we're talking about health and safety. Uh, okay. And this is a health and safety podcast. I'm sure the first of many, um, because there is a lot of, yeah. Okay, um, it's interesting one you said actually, uh, Ryan, with the whole whose duty is it? Is it the employer? Is it the employees? It's kind of a it's, there's a reliance on both, isn't there? Really, if you look at Health and Safety at Work Act, it's the employer of both. It's the it's the uh, the duty of both parties to cooperate and coordinate on matters of health and safety. Um, my biggest challenge with that is a lot of people I've worked with over the years haven't got any health and safety training. It's seen as this bolt on extra that just costs money. And a lot of electrical contractors go and employ a, uh, like a, a subby health and safety advisor to write all their generic risk assessment rams. They don't. They do enough to cover themselves and keep themselves out of prison. But the implementation, the review, the understanding... What about the ECS card and the exam you do for that? Does that not cover it? Um, <laughs> no. But not, it doesn't do confined space, does it? It's generic It's generic health and safety questions. I mean, yeah, if you want to know about the colour of flexes on build, I never, I'll never forget that question. I got asked what colour um, is 110-volt flex on a building site, and I thought this is probing, this is probing the depths of my knowledge here. Um, mm -hmm. No, it's, it's an ineffectual test, man. It's... 
Right, I, I'm not a fan of having... That was a leading question, by the way. Oh, sorry. Um, I'm not a fan. See, the trouble is, is when I first started on sites, and you'll probably nod and agree, when I first started on I hated health and safety because um, my dad used to say, oh, well, if you're good at your job, the safety isn't an issue because you won't get hurt. And my dad, I've got pictures of him swinging off of beams like those American builders in the 30s. My dad was a walking health and safety breach i mean if they did yellow and red cards he would have had more red cards than the entire construction industry it was a nightmare um you know no ppe ever just just didn't do it and i grew up with that and it was only the first time i got audited that i actually got my pants pulled around my ankles and then i realized i need to understand this and i went and did safety training and um eventually i failed my first safety course uh, the only course i've ever failed by the way was safety and I was so embarrassed because I didn't like failure. Um, I realized it was my behaviors, my attitude towards it. And then when you really embrace it and you open up, you realize every single debate. I mean, we're talking about confined spaces here. Richard, what was the stat you said at the start? How many people have died in the last year alone? On, a, on average, 15 people a year. 15 people a year dying in confined spaces. Now, I've got a story for you. Um, I don't know if it goes into confined space, but it was an incident at Morgan Sindel uh, where I worked there. And there was a chap who had to open up a, a panel. And the panel was for basically like a, a macerator. It was a large industrial macerator that broke up effluent waste. And every time it blocked up, the procedure on site was to basically get a stick and poke it to free up the blockage. And tragically, this guy... Um, when he was poking with a stick, ended up having his entire arm ripped off um, because there weren't suitable and sufficient control measures. Now, that could have been a lot worse. That could have been a hell of a lot worse. Um, there is incidents, I believe there's a recording of uh, it a few years ago of a chap who was in a, uh, was it a glass factory and he got into their ovens to do some maintenance and the door got closed in him and Ugh. ended up dying and that's confined space. Um, it's happened yeah. in, in car spray plants as well, where they where they've gone through, and and it wasn't uh, it wasn't a um, a covered and um, uh, enclosed space because it was a tube that was opened at either end. But by the time he came out the other end, he was cooked. Richard, uh, your your audio seems to be uh, gone a little bit skewy. I don't know if you've moved or. You've opened the window or something, but I can hear a lot of interference my end. Oh, that's better. What happened? I don't know. Weird. So just a quick one then. So if I go through the guidance note in the ACOC chaps, um, examples of a confined space, we've mentioned it earlier. Um, in addition to the places uh, referred to that I mentioned earlier on, uh, expressed as a confined space, there's a list in the ACOP, which is free, by the way. ACOPs are always free. They're approved codes of practice. Ducts, culverts, tunnels, boreholes, board piles. So tunnels are confined space. So is, does that include a railway tunnel? Because I can tell you now, no one. I've been on railways 24 years, and there's, I've never heard it called a confined space. Um, board piles, manholes, shafts, excavations and trenches, sumps inspection and under machine pits so that's under machine pits that's interesting because that's where you would might maintain a railway train for instance coffer dams freight containers ballast tanks ships engine rooms cargo holds buildings building voids some enclosed rooms plant rooms compartments within them enclosures for the purpose of asbestos removal 
removal, areas for storage of materials, which are likely to oxidize storerooms for steel chains or wood pellet hopper tanks, unvented or inadequately vented rooms and silos. You could argue that's your loft straight away there, Richard. Um, structures that become confined spaces during fabrication or manufacture, interiors of machines, plant or vehicles. That's not an exhaustive list. Wow, I, I've learned something just reading that out. Incredible. It's interesting as well if you go on the HSE website uh, and put in confined spaces, there's a, a section where it talks, because you, you just mentioned under machine pits. Yeah. Um, they give a case study on um, the HSE website where they talk about uh, a crane breaking down and, and two guys going in and one guy just getting out and then two guys going in to try and get the one who's in there and then both of those um, falling under and then they actually pulled two bodies out and recovered one one alive so there's a case study on the website which is um it's quite interesting to read but it's uh it's sad all the more well i'm yeah i'm just thinking under railway pits where they do the train maintenance and stuff we've got you go into a railway depot and you'll have up to 12 roads where it's just a walkable pit with um lights and everything else under it and interesting fascinating to be honest with you um okay richard how do you control those measures well, I, I was Hazard, just, sorry. Just, just just remembering one that I read fourth uh, of October last year. Um, a manufacturing company was doing work in a um, a solvent tank. They flushed it out and they thought they'd cleaned it out enough. When the uh, when the guys went in to start cutting out sections of it because they'd failed to put um, ventilation in there and uh, efficiently drain the, uh, the lubricant from the oil accumulator, the tank blew up. Uh, it was deemed a confined space, killed both of them. The, uh, the, the uh, company got fined, did they get fined? Almost two million pound. And those two guys didn't go home. Wow. Uh, so control measures, understanding what a confined space is. And we hear a lot about uh, an enclosed environment, but we also need, and, and, and you've just spoken about sumps, uh, any, any tank, uh, swimming pool, uh, anything that will collect a gas or vapour at a lower level. Uh, you could have a subterranean boiler room and there was a, 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 an accident that happened some time ago in a, in a swimming pool. They had an underground plant room where they stored the, uh, the chlorine uh, powder. That leaked out and oxidised and filled the plant room with chlorine gas. Guy went down to pick up some chemicals and he never came back up. Uh, another guy went down to find out where he'd gone and he never came back. And then eventually the receptionist went down there to find out what had happened. And she never came back up. And the fourth person, realising that there was a problem, called the fire brigade. So under normal circumstances, they'd been in and out of that room a dozen times a week. Mm. But because there was an uncontrolled storage of chemicals in there and it was the lowest part in the building and yeah. the chlorine gas was heavier than air, it just settled in there. Mm. That could be any gas 
or substance that's heavier than air. So understanding that environment, understanding the risk, as you said, with lost spaces, and it may not be there all the time, as long as you understand what temperatures you're looking at and whether you need ventilation and whether you need to jump in and out of the loft to cool down. Um, so, it's thinking about it, isn't it? Yes. That's the thing. Yes. It's just applying, thinking about it. Can I just chip in with a story, actually? It just reminded me of a job I did. So um, anybody who's listening to this, some of you may have been to Paddington Station in West London, um, built by Brunel, and it's got hu four huge vaulted glass and cast iron ceilings they're absolutely beautiful and um i was working on span four which is the far right hand side it's around 2003 and we had a crash deck that was sat above um the railway um and we had to go and put a new crash deck in um and the minute we put that crash deck in we were subject to confined spaces and the main reason being was we were right up in <laughs> literally inside that vaulted arch where as you can imagine it's like a greenhouse there was only um one uh point of access and egress and we ended up having to get industrial fans to suck fresh air in from outside and pump it and circuit we had to do a full design to actually ensure that there was sufficient ventilation and circulation of fresh and clean air although can you get that in london um around that span and everyone who went in there had to wear uh, gas monitors and there was also temperature monitoring. And I remember it clearly because it was the first ever time I had to put a wireless fire alarm in on a railway station back in 2003, which everyone said wouldn't work. And it ended up it ended up working brilliantly. Um, but, yeah, that just reminds me of that. That was a confined space. Sorry, I'll chip back to you. Sorry about that. <laughs> so no, a, a, an understanding of what what chemicals, gases noxious um, gases might be in there whether or not it's in or around or above 19 percent oxygen if it isn't you're going to have to do something either go in there with breathing apparatus and that brings a whole raft of other problems medicals uh, getting all your kit um, tested and inspected what we tend to do is like roped access as soon as that becomes apparent, we punt it to somebody who's doing this every day. We remove the risk from our staff who aren't used to it. And we push it onto a company that's doing this day in, day out. They've got all the oxygen level meters. They understand that before they go down the hole, they do sample readings. Uh, they ventilate it. They do sample readings again. They sample when they're in there. The... Um, the uh, calibration uh, certificates are all noted on all the equipment, the lifting equipment, the gas monitors. They make notes of all the different gas readings. The, uh, the whole thing is documented as an individual uh, set of documents away from the task. So, uh, and the, of course, the other thing is what happens when it goes wrong? If, you, if you're doing work in... In a, in a space which may be defined as confined space if it all goes wrong what's your risk assessment uh, sorry what's your escape plan you always need an escape escape plan be it um, harnesses winches tripods uh, somebody at the top with a telephone who can call for help uh, somebody trained first aiders medicals we're getting outside the scope of the works of the domestic electrician going in the loft, I know. But... Well, 
you 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 are a bit, but I remember having a top man. That's what we used to call them, the top man, who would sit at the top and monitor the gas and have to go and you know call for help. It it was quite costly on railways, but just going back into the domestic, if I may, there is a section in the uh, code of practice that I think would cover the domestic guy, page eleven, and it's uh, excessive heat, and it says hot conditions can lead to a dangerous rise in core body temperature. This can be made worse by wearing PPE, which is so true. I have seen PPE cause accidents. How mad is that? It's supposed to protect you and it's actually caused accidents. Again, not the right application. Um, highly physical or strenuous work or working at a high work rate, in extreme cases, heat stroke and unconsciousness can result. Excessive heat can occur where work is being done in hot conditions, maybe in a loft, or where, for example, boilers or furnaces have not allowed sufficient time to cool down. The confined space is exposed to the sun or other heat source, um, greenhouse, uh, barrel of a, a railway uh, station uh, in the roof section, or equipment has been steam cleaned to remove hydrocarbons, or hot work is being carried out, i.e. using welding equipment for repair. Then it says a slower heat buildup in the body can also cause heat stresses. If action is not taken to cool the body, there is a risk of heat stroke and unconsciousness. It's quite frightening, isn't it, really? I know I've come out of lofts in the middle of summer and, and felt shocking. Well, you're drenched, aren't you? You're drenched yeah. in sweat. Um, and then you'll find out when you take your boots off, normally sometimes you can get like heat rashes on your feet and your body just doesn't want to cool down, does it really? I found I found when I was in hot lofts, I would have to just stand under a, a freezing cold shower for 10, 15 minutes just to try and get my body temperature down. Yeah, signs of dizziness, dizziness headaches. Mm. I think I think the key thing is, is is it's about understanding that there are risks that can happen. Everyone's different. Your body size, your your stamina, everything, your health your fitness levels, uh, all of these are contributory to you doing the work. Um, I think I don't think I'll ever be doing confined space work. My back's shot, so I wouldn't even consider it. But I think it's being aware of what can happen and what measures you need to take to protect yourselves and be able to go home to your family is, is key for me. Um, what's your view, guys? Richard, Ryan? Uh, yeah, it's, it's going home safe at the end of the day. Sorry, I was waiting for Ryan there. Um, yeah, going home safe. Uh, understand understand the risks. Don't be one of the 15. Uh, be one of the many that come back. Uh, be a Indeed. bit smart. Be a bit smart about it. Consider it before going in. Assess. Risk assess in your own mind. If it needs, if it needs more than that, then I'm afraid, uh, and, it, and it's a painful economic lesson, uh, you might not get the job done that day, but you'll go home to, to the missus and the kids. Mm-hmm. Agree. And definitely right. don't um yeah, don't don't kind of listen to this podcast and, and, and go into every single situation with tunnel vision and think all I need to think about is is confined spaces, um approved code of practice. Uh, there are there are other hazards that you need to kind of pay attention to uh, electricity noise collapse substance it's all covered in the code of practice which is your asbestos um your workplace health and safety kind of the, if you if you go down to page 12 at the bottom of the code of practice it gives you a, a list of regulations that the hazards that are not spec not specific to confined spaces so i guess it's the message exactly what richard's just said there is um do your risk assessments, 
just pay attention to your environment. Uh, the, the last thing we want, and, and nobody ever wants it, we, we don't want to lose another spark. We don't want to lose any more sparks. So we just make sure everybody goes home to their families safe and sound. So that's the message. Mm. Um, right, chaps, um, we're going to leave. We're going to leave this one here. So I'm going to ask you for any final thoughts. Um, Richard, you first. I think what Ryan said, eyes wide open. Mm. Look at it holistically, not just a small section. Agree. Mr. Dempsey, any final thoughts or advice to the people listening regarding confined spaces? As with everything, Paul, when we do podcasts with E5, um, we, we always bring to the forefront kind of codes of practice, regulations, British standards. Um, if you're interested in learning more, it's log on to the internet, download the code of practice, just have a read through it. Um, it's a, it's not, it hasn't got that many pages. And I'd kind of suggest just have a, a full scan through it. It helps you understand things. And um, it's CPD in the end. We, we make ourselves better by understanding um, the work that amazing committees do to, to bring, um, to document the risks to us as, as the workforce. So, yeah, just download the document and have a read of it. Indeed. Um, so this is, um, again, I think we're going to, we're going to finish this up. Richard and Ryan, thank you very much for joining us as always. Richard, you are going to be back again with Louise Taggart very soon. Uh, and I believe Mr. Watts, and we're going to carry on our talk about safe isolation and the importance of it. Um, you've been listening to Mr. Ryan Dempsey, uh, Mr. Richard Emery. I'm Paul Meenan, and this was the importance of safe work in confined spaces. So um, thanks, chaps. And, thank you. Uh, until the next one, take care of yourself and each other. Bye-bye.